RevDivers. Thanks for coming back to another episode of RevDive. Today, we're going to introduce you to someone who's right at that intersection between healthcare and technology, Mr. Luigi LeBlanc. He is the current Vice mm -hmm. President of Technology at Zane Networks, and he has worked with HHS, CMS, CMMI. He's really been all over the space. In fact, healthcare and technology are truly his wheelhouse as he is works in the public health space and he's an engineer. So Luigi, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you guys. Great to be on the show. This is exciting. We are very uh, excited to have you. Super excited because what you're doing right now is so innovative and we cannot wait to introduce what you do to the Rev Divers. Uh, this is awesome. I uh, have known Kim for years and she's a trailblazer and I hear all the good things that you guys are doing and it's so uh, nice and fun to be on a podcast. So I'm all yours uh, to answer what I can and and learn a lot as well. So great to be here. Thank you so much. And you know, we want to learn a lot from you. I mean, you've been on the cutting edge of virtual care from telehealth to remote patient monitoring and chronic care management. And there are, there are just so many care delivery models that could be optimized by using technology and understanding technology. And so I guess my first question would be, you know, what are some areas of opportunity in that virtual care space that you see that are, that are kind of untapped by the majority of healthcare providers today? Well, you know, COVID's been an has been a uh, an interesting uh, experience for all of us. And what it has done is, for a long time, we've been involved. Those of us who have been involved in telehealth and trying to get the adoption of telehealth to occur, and all of a sudden we have a pandemic that hit, and globally, um, everything in our lifetime in our life has had to switch to a virtual environment. I mean, we use uh, FaceTime or uh, Google Google Talk or Zoom. I mean, these things are becoming verbs when um, when for a long time, it's been very hard to get that um, that that virtual uh, engagement to become part of our daily lives and our business lives. And that has happened in medicine. And um, and we've seen and thank goodness. Uh, federal investment and state investment and, and agencies such as the, uh, the associations like the ATA has has done has set the groundwork so that at the state level and at the reimbursement level, you can have a mechanism um, for providers and stakeholders to use such technologies in a way that um, that can be not just reimbursable, but really have an impact in terms of access to care and quality of care. And so, but it did take the pandemic to force and thrive the entire nation and the world into the space. And so I see opportunities. Um, we, we certainly are now in a market that is the virtual space, whether it's the wearable space, whether it's the um, uh, screening at the point of care space, or it's the, um, uh, the asynchronous or synchronous uh, uh, medicine space. It's really at prime time nowadays. And so, um, and so I don't think that that's gonna go back. I think that that is, um, even as providers and healthcare stakeholders are going into a hybrid model of medicine, we still see that um, both from a patient satisfaction survey and from the provider's um, flexibility, we see that this type of virtual health is part of the practice's workflow. And so that's here to stay. And so, and what we're also 
beginning to see because of new payment delivery mechanisms uh, and, and schemes and alternative payment models and value-based payment models, we're seeing um, other opportunities for, um, for uh, stakeholders to participate in a modular way to the healthcare delivery models. For example, um, pharmacists can now provide medication management uh, using virtual um, technologies and um, screening services uh, to augment the capacity of the primary care or the care delivery team to better coordinate services for the beneficiary, hence preventing costly care. So we're seeing niche opportunities uh, in the marketplace that's playing out um, um, uh, throughout the nation and certainly in our backyard where we stand here in the DMV region. So these are some of the examples of uh, new actors that uh, I call them new actors, but really critical components that are um, uh, that are needed in order to have whole person care. And it's not, you know, the, the, the issue of social determinants of care, we now know is a key element to um, to, to our overall well-being. And so we're starting to see payment models at the state level and at the federal level that's incentivizing um, the social determinants, uh, whether that's food insecurity, whether it's housing insecurity, uh, into the mix. And so virtual health plays a role in that referral side, but also in that coordination of services side to better take care of me. And so I'm all in for that. I think that that's where we see some opportunities emerging. And we're actually seeing um, states uh, um, and states and um, state insurers uh, really launch incentive payment models that are looking at how these new innovations can play a role in the total cost of care. So that that is where we see other opportunities, niche opportunities that um, expands beyond your traditional uh, virtual health or telehealth and into personalized care at a modular level. Luigi, it's really interesting that you mentioned reimbursement. And, you know, Taya and I and our rep divers, we commonly see um, different segments of the revenue cycle overlapping consistently, right? So when, when we see that overlap, um, obviously reimbursement is going to tie into technology optimization because it's a holistic approach um, to, to care delivery. And you have an interesting background in public health, um, in interoperability, and especially in technology innovation, right? We're really curious. I, I mean, I understand your background, but um, I would love for you to share these experiences and how they intersect and overlap so much um, and how you've been leveraging them in your efforts in this space. Uh, first of all, let me say I love Rev Divers. I, I've never heard of that, but I love that concept of a rev diver. So go rev divers. <laughs> uh, no, the thanks for asking that, Kim, because it has been a journey. And um, I, the way I got uh, just a little bit about how I got into this, I, um, as mentioned, I, I do have a background in electrical engineering, so that's my undergrad. Um, and I got my first job for a company that was an engineering company 
that had developed an x-ray device that they wanted to, it's an x-ray with a video camera that they wanted to put in, in what they thought was sort of academia space and med schools um, so that you can see the x-ray on a flatbed and then uh, project it onto a screen. When, and this was back in the days of um, overhead projectors and so on. Um, and, and they needed to find a market for it. So that that got me, and this was back in 1996, and it got me into the telehealth space because that's when telehealth was really first starting out. Um, and it was largely funded by DOD uh, for theater-based medicine. And I was hired as a sales engineer to try to figure out how this fits in the marketplace. And it exposed me to academia and to um, how healthcare um, faculty were using technology early on and the types of medicine, which was largely driven by video because bandwidth at that time was uh, really cost prohibitive. Um, and the technology, quite frankly, was um, uh, clunky and um, and it wasn't compression technology like what we're doing right now in a podcast was not as, as smooth. And so, but what it did teach me is that I needed to understand more than just the the, the, the engineering, uh, the mathematics of it. I needed to understand um, uh, the, the health and the science part of it and the public health part of it. And, um, and that's what got me to, 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 to pursue a degree in public health. And, that, and since that time, my role has been to, to, to understand the technological needs um, but apply it in a way that's going to be pragmatic and it's going to integrate in the workflow of the practices uh, and, and, and it's gonna be cost effective. And I have a particular bias passion for um, uh, health equity. And so always work with um, um, minor, marginalized population um, in, in addressing health disparities. And so being able to, 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 to meet people where they're at and to bring them uh, solutions that benefit them at a cost-effective way has always been the driver for us. And so, and, and that's what drives us. And, and some of the initiatives that have come out of the federal government that has afforded that opportunity has been some of the efforts around the CMS Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation. And they've looked at, um, at ways to address chronic care management um, um, and, and look at targeted quality performance indicators uh, and key quality measures but tied to actually savings in terms of overall dollar savings. And those, those savings will come from um, your traditional um, um, uh, uh, reduction of unnecessary high cost um, care, which is the ED as primary care, reducing that, uh, reducing unnecessary uh, acute care, inpatient care, or if they are in the inpatient care, making sure people are transitioned uh, appropriately so that they they can get the outpatient less costly care um, and then preventing the 30-day readmission. And so CMS has incentivized those types of models and tried to learn from it through the CMMI um, efforts. And we've been fortunate to have been involved with um, several of those efforts, starting out with a chronic care model, looking at um, residents in the District of Columbia, then looking at then, 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 then another CMMI model that was targeted around particularly HIV AIDS, but the same kind of thing, 
Can you coordinate the care and, and reach some savings over four years for a, a, a target population specific around one disease? In this case, it was HIV AIDS. And more recently, we're involved in a project, again, funded by CMMI, looking at children in the New Jersey area who are um, um, high-risk kids who either suffer from uh, substance use disorder or their parents are um, uh, suffer from substance use disorder. And how do you coordinate the care of these? Um, you screen 120,000 of these beneficiaries, but you've got to enroll about 19,000 of them in ongoing care management. And how do you do that in a way um, that's dealing with multidisciplinary actors um, addressing for their social needs, their social needs that drives their their chronic um, condition or their substance needs, um, and, how, and how do you prevent costly admission? So that requires an integrated model of care. It requires um, leveraging infrastructures that exist, whether those are health information exchanges in states where they're doing their part to make sure that uh, notification of events that occur um, uh, are known to the care team so that they can react more quickly and reach that beneficiary um, and coordinate their services. And how do you do that in a way where you're accounting, you can see uh, when someone may be falling through the gaps and you can, you can monitor those data points and engage sooner to either get someone through those stages, stages of change or get them maintaining what they've, um, uh, the course that they're on, all of that is an effort to prevent costly care. And CMMI is looking to learn now with this population of youth and adolescent, can they prevent, um, can, they, can, can, can a region uh, save costs by accounting for a total person uh, and bringing in um, and informing the parts of the system that are responsible for other uh, other other parts of their needs, and that might be food insecurity or the TANF side. It might be foster child, I mean, foster care and those needs. And how do yeah. you do that in an integrated way? So that's the thing. Those are the types of um, models that we see are prevailing and are being funded nationwide. And, and then, you know, it leads to a workforce that is competent to be able to address um, those types of models. So these are the types of efforts that um, excites us. Uh, and we 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 want to work it. We want to work with and um, at Zaynet, and it's really the kind of work I've been involved with since um, since the early two thousands. Well, let me say, Luigi, you just said a mouthful. Um, you you really tied in the importance of interoperability, not only for care delivery, but for revenue cycle improvement and um, for improving patient outcomes, right? And for reaching those who really need care that might be out of care. Um, you, you also mentioned the state health information exchanges. And you know, here you, you mentioned the DMV, DC, Maryland, Virginia area. Um, we have a very unique um, payment model with our total cost of care model. Um, but we also have some, some really innovative technology with our health information exchange, CRISP and EHX. Um, luckily for our listeners and our viewers, um, you have a national perspective 
of what state HIEs are doing. Can you kind of give us an idea of some of the trends that we should be, um, you know, looking out for with, with state HIEs and, and the, the, the intersection with the community physicians? Um, to the question asked, um, Kim, that you asked, I think it's really one, I'm very passionate about this and that's the, the returning citizens population because um, many of us, uh, those individuals are family members, they are members of our community. And when they are re re returning, back to the community post-incarceration, um, it's really important um, that that gets done in the, the transition of not just their, you know, they're their, their their transitioning successfully as an individual, but that their health information and the services that they've gotten while in, incarcerated transitions as well um, uh, with them. And it does that in a way that doesn't further stigmatize them or, or create some, um, an environment where they can't transition back into the community in a successful way. Health information exchanges play a key role in that because they can connect the um, the system within the Department of uh, Corrections and Department of Justice to the healthcare delivery system so that um, those residents who are entitled to health services upon reentry continue to get those services and that their insurers know that they have re-entered and are in need of those services. But then the care team can be engaged to continue those services so that they don't relapse and not necessarily go back to jail because they've got, um, because of a because of, of, of a break in their continued, um, you know, their continued treatment. And so I'm really passionate about that. I think that that is a, um, and fortunately for us, we've been working uh, here with our partners in the Health Information Exchange the insurer, and also the Department of Justice, uh, Department of Correction, to, to address that and have made great strides in that. Um, but that's the kind of value service that a health information exchange can offer to us as consumers of, of and owners of the data. Okay. You know, this has been so informative, Luigi. We really, really, really appreciate you being here today. You know, you really shed a lot of light on leveraging technology and innovation, um, improving care, public health, um, revenue cycle improvement, and, you know, reimbursement optimization. This is all really fascinating. So it's always a pleasure to have people like you with your type of insight, share this knowledge with our Rev Divers. So thank you so much for being with us today. And thank you guys. Uh, thanks for leading the, the charge. I mean, you've always been a trailblazer and continue to trailblaze. Congratulations on everything you're doing. Thanks for inviting me and go, go Rev Divers. I like it, man. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Luigi. Taya and I are, are are so passionate about this, as passionate as you are. And you know, thanks everyone for joining today. We look forward to seeing you on the next episode of Rev Dive. <laughs>